will start by telling you this. I have a really good um, teaching on church membership that I was going to start today. The worship service was just really, um, I don't know, I just had a lot going through my mind as we worshiped the Lord. And when Caleb began to say what he said, it just really... um, It just really spoke to my heart because this is kind of what the Lord's been dealing with, with, uh, with me about. And I'm just going to have a real, I'm going to do, I'm going to break all the rules this morning and I'm going to have a real honest conversation with you guys. And, um, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to minimize what, what I really intended to talk to you about today and in reality... My conversation goes to the heart of this teaching about church membership. Um, And so that teaching is going to be uploaded onto the internet. And we may formally do it here, we we may not. But I was reading this week in Jeremiah, and I came across a scripture in Jeremiah, and it wasn't part of my message today, but yet it's, it is so absolutely relevant to my message today, even though I'm not going to preach my message today. Uh, it's the same message. You know there's really only one message, don't you? We don't want to believe that, but the reality is there is only one message. It is called the gospel. And we have so minimized and trivialized the gospel, that, that we think the gospel is just another subject in the Bible. Or we think the gospel is just four books of the Bible. Or we think the gospel is just the plan of salvation that ends with an altar call inviting people to, to give their life to Jesus. We have no clue what the gospel is. Christ is the gospel. The bread and the blood is The gospel, everything we do in Christ is centered in and because of, it is the gospel. And I'm going to have an honest conversation with you and part of this honesty today, I'm going to share some frustrations with you. Um, I'm not frustrated with you personally. I don't think, I don't know. I'm frustrated with some things that are realities in the church. And and I'm just going to tell you, um, the culture of the pastorate, it's just a different culture. You know, here's here's what usually happens. Pastors get together and they share all their frustrations together with other pastors. Because they can't share them with the congregation because God forbid if the congregation ever thought the pastor was frustrated. But yet, when I read the letters of the New Testament, do you know what I see? I see Paul's frustration, not with the people he doesn't know. I see his frustration with people he knows personally. If not face-to-face, he knows them by name. Because he names a bunch of them in the Bible. 
And he writes these letters and he's dealing with these situations within the church that are frustrating. You know why they're frustrating? Because these situations are contrary to the truth. They're contrary to the gospel. They're contrary to who God is. And so you see Paul dealing with all manner of things, and rightly so. Now, one of the reasons I was going to talk to you today about church membership, and I really am talking to you about church membership, you just don't know it. But I am, just to let you know. One of the reasons I was going to talk to you about that is, is because there, there is just a, there's a huge disconnect in our culture. And I, you know, we talk a lot about, well, in this day and time, well, okay, fair, because this is the day and time we live in. But you know, the reality is, there is nothing new under the sun. Do you think all this stuff just happened in the 20th or 21st century? No. And the reason we should understand that is because the very Bible we use to deal with the issues that we think that are unique to our day are the very issues Paul was dealing with in his day. And do you know why Paul dealt with them in his day? Because the root of the problem was the same in Paul's day as it was in Abraham's day as it was in Adam's day. The root of the problem is the carnal nature. It is the Adamic nature. And so we think because we get born again and we join a church and we come, well, some of you come week in and week out, some of you come whenever it's convenient. And this is part of the problem of church membership. Now, I'm not fussing and I'm not being rude. I'm just being honest with you, okay? And I'm being honest with you Because if I'm not honest with you, I can't really help you. So when I, for instance, counsel couples, and I don't consider myself a counselor, and the first thing I tell people is I am not a counselor. So if you want a counselor, I'll give you a referral and I'll tell you who to call. But if you want to talk to somebody, I'll talk to you. What are you going to tell me? Well, I'm going to tell you what the Scripture says. That's the only counsel I have for you that's worth anything. Because if I tell you anything that's not based in the Scripture, it's really not worth anything. It's just basically my opinion, or the world's opinion, or some guy who wrote a book's his opinion. Who says they're right? The only one that is right, and the only one that is true, is the guy who wrote this book, and his name is God. (laughs) Okay? So I tell people, I'm not a counselor, but here's what I will promise to do. I promise to be brutally honest with you. And if you still want to come talk to me after a brutally honest session, then I'll talk to you as long as you want to talk. And I think part of the problem within the church is we don't want to have brutally honest conversations. And so what happens when we don't have brutally honest conversations is we, we continue to live in our illusions. And we think we might be accomplishing something or we think we might be doing the right thing or pursuing the right thing. But in reality, it may just be an illusion. Because, because the only way we can determine what's true, what's right is what? It's by this right here. 
That's it. Now that doesn't mean, and I just, I just met with a gentleman recently who doesn't even, well he didn't say he doesn't believe in God, but he doesn't know if he believes in God. I said, that's okay. I said, don't tell me you believe in God just because I'm a pastor and that's what you think I want to hear from you. If you don't believe in God, that's fine. I would much rather you be honest and say I don't believe in God. I can, I can do a lot more with that. God can do a lot more with that than someone who's living in some illusion or living some lie. I'm still going to tell him the same thing, whether he believes in God or not. I'm going to tell him that I'm going to give him the gospel. And the gospel's not just how he can get saved. If you say these magic words and walk the magic aisle and hold the magic hand of the magic preacher, you will be saved. Really? Maybe not. Maybe you walked the aisle and said the magic words and prayed the magic prayer and nothing happened to you because it didn't come from your heart. Maybe you got baptized in water 57 times and nothing has happened to you. Why? Because it wasn't in your heart. And see, here's the thing. This great teaching on church membership that I had for you this morning, I can teach it all day long. And it will mean nothing to you until it's in your heart. And this really is what Caleb was saying during the worship, during the song service. I mean, what too many Christians want today is a cheerleader. Some of you parents want just a cheerleader for your kids to get your kids excited about what? What do we want, a bunch of external excitement, or do we want an internal transformation? Well, all the external excitement in the world is not going to do anything to, to facilitate an internal transformation. You know why we have adults now? Listen, I was a youth pastor. I started out as a youth pastor. And I was a youth pastor for a long time. And I'm going to tell you what, I knew how to get kids excited. I was a worship leader for a long time. I know how to get a crowd excited about worship. And, and I'm telling you what, one of the reasons I sit on the front row, because I really don't want to see what you guys are or are not doing. Because I'm not here... For that, first and foremost, I'm here for God. So I don't, I, I wish everybody would, you know, do whatever, but you know, worship's not about whether you raise your hands or dance or clap. I mean, if that's what's in you, let it come out. But here's the point what's in you is what's going to come out. Now, if all we want to do, if you just want me to get up here and work you up and get you all excited so you can go out and have the illusion that something happened, if, is that really what you want? It's not what I want. And I refuse to do it. You know why? Because I really love you. I really love you, and that's really not what you need. It might be what your flesh wants but it's not what you need. You know what the church needs today? The church needs the truth. So here's what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy, they will not endure sound doctrine. Timothy, they will leave you in a New York minute to go find someone that will tickle their itching ears. But you don't worry about that, Timothy. 
you preach the word. In season and out of season, you preach the word. Now, I know what the conventional wisdom is in the church world, because I've got, I've got enough books on my bookshelf, my bookshelves to fill many. I had, I, it's like the guy that had to build bigger barns. I had to have my father-in-law build me bookshelves because I ran out of bookshelf space to put all my books. So I got more bookshelves to put all my books up there. You know how many books I have on church growth and church this and church that and all the formulas and all the things you're supposed to do to make people like you and to make people want to come to your church and to make them come back every week. Well, here's what you do. Here's the plan. Here's Here's what you do, Pastor. Here's how you get them to come in the front door and not leave out the back door. I mean, I could just fill your minds with terminology that's floating around out there. And pastors today are desperate trying to find the formula. And so what do we do? We find a megachurch, and now the megachurch pastors, they're going to write a book and tell everybody how they did it. And so all the pastors flock to the conference and they want to read the book and find out how you grew your church to 20,000 because I want to do the same thing. Do we really want to grow our churches to 20,000? I mean, really? Now that, I'll be honest with you right now, that feeds my ego. Boy, if I had a church of 20,000, that would feed Adam really well. I mean, Adam would love that, man. But when I read my Bible, Paul said, Adam's supposed to be dead. So I shouldn't be feeding Adam. Now, here's another problem. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with having churches of 20,000, 30,000, 50,000. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying, as a pastor, if I'm coveting that, and that becomes the sign of success, there is something wrong with that. If my point of reading and studying and trying to figure out what to say and what to do is so that I can have what somebody else has, the Bible calls that a sin. If you're looking around and saying, I want what that person has, I want to feel what that person feels, I want to do what that person does, if it ain't lining up with the book, we got a problem. And so, this whole thing that we call church. Let me ask you guys something. If you, whether you're a parent sending your kid, or think of you, some of you are college students. Some of you are teachers. We've all been to school in some form or fashion. Why did you go to school? To get an education, right? So let's just pick one of my least favorite subjects in school, algebra. Now, if I only went to class several times a year, how well do you think I might learn algebra? (laughs) I wouldn't learn it very well, would I? 
what is it that, let's just take me for instance, and I'm going to use me because I'm here, and I happen to be a pastor. So what does the Bible say I am to do as a pastor? What's my responsibility as a pastor? Huh? To ser- I'm a servant, that's right. But specifically in Ephesians, it says that God gave pastors, and they, you are right, they are servants. He gave them for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. To what end? That we would come to, we talked about this, remember last week, the eternal pattern is the Son, to come to the fullness of the, the stature of the measure of Christ, who is the head, who fills all in all. Now, how are we going to do that? Now, some people in the church think we're going to do that because we're going to create a spiritual atmosphere. I heard this just this week. I heard someone say these very words, encouraging people to come and worship so that we can change the atmosphere. That's what a lot of people want to do. They want to come and they want to experience some kind of big, powerful, emotional thing and believe that we believe that's going to change the atmosphere. Now, my question is, and I'm, I'm, by the way, I used to believe that. I used to teach that. I used to promote that. The only problem is I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I can't. What I do find in the Bible, and what I do see, for instance, in the New Testament, you know how the church, you know how the New Testament church changed its atmosphere? They didn't get in a room and start singing hypnotic choruses and have emotional experiences. You know how they changed their atmosphere? They went into their world and they preached and they lived the gospel, even to the point that it cost them their lives. That's how they changed the atmosphere. Jesus didn't say, go ye therefore into all the atmosphere and change it. He said, go ye therefore into the world, go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them. One of the requirements that is put on me as a pastor that the Bible puts is, if I am a pastor, I must be a teacher. You know why? Because God understood that the way the world would be transformed was not by changing an atmosphere. Listen, the only atmosphere that needs to be changed is between your ears. That's the atmosphere that must be changed. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 does not talk about that up there. It talks about this right here. But there are so many in the church that refuse to to hear that and to believe that. And And so you know what the consequence of that is? They don't want to endure sound teaching. Because learning algebra is not any fun. Well, true, it may not be fun, but it may be very profitable for you. And you may get out of school one day and realize, man, I wish I would have learned algebra, because I really need to know it now. 
I know someone who didn't think school was important at all, and they barely learned how to read. And they had to play catch-up later on in life to get the job they wanted. And that person said to me, I wish I would have taken school seriously when I was there. Now I'm going to tell you what, algebra is, is really important. But algebra won't get you into heaven. Now, you students, don't think that I'm saying you don't need to learn algebra, because you do. But what I'm saying is if we would just approach the gospel of Christ the way we approach algebra, you realize how different the church would be today? Because we really don't see the value of learning the gospel. Because a lot of people are running around going, oh, I already know that. Oh, I've already got that. And and we don't see the importance, one of the important things of coming together, of assembling together, is not just so you can come have some emotional experience here in this building through the music. I went and saw a play last night, and and one of the main characters was a pastor who had fallen into despair because of tragedy in his life. And his wife said, I remember the day when you could lift a congregation so high that they would have to look down to see heaven. That is not the job of a pastor. I can't lift you that high. And I'm not supposed to lift you that high. The Bible says, humble yourself, and He will lift you up. But what the Bible does say is that I am to teach you sound doctrine. That I am to teach you what this Scripture says so that you're not deceived. So that you're not out there pursuing things that have absolutely no meaning and no spiritual significance. Though they may have a form of godliness, there is no power in them whatsoever. And I'm telling you what, too much of, I told you I was going to be honest with you today. Too much of the church is out there pursuing things that have a form of godliness, but I'm telling you what, there is not one ounce of spiritual power in it. It is a total and complete illusion, and it is only feeding the flesh of man. There are too many gaps, too many gaps. There's gaps in our faith, there's gaps in our belief systems, there's gaps everywhere. And I'm going to tell you what, you're not going to fill the gaps in by peeking in every six weeks, every three months. But here's the other thing. Don't do what you're going to do out of a sense of legalism or legalistic obligation. Because that's not going to do you any good either. And there's a lot of people who will come to this building week in and week out because it's a 
legalistic obligation to them. It doesn't even have to be this building. It could be any church, anywhere. I know, I talk to them all the time. I talked to someone recently and said, I grew up in a, in a very traditional mainline denominational church. And they said, when I turned uh, a sophomore in high school, my parents gave me the option of whether I wanted to keep going or not. And I said, so what did you do? And I already knew the answer. She said, I stopped going. Because it, it didn't mean anything to me. Now, all of a sudden, it's funny. When you begin to present the truth to people who really want to know the truth, all of a sudden, it's like, well, I never knew that. I never saw that. That person went to church for what? 16 years of their life out of legalistic obligation. But now they're discovering, you know what? There may be more. There may be more than just legalistic obligation. And I'm not saying the things I'm saying today to make anyone feel condemned. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But I'm saying, what's in our heart, church? Are you going to clap and dance and sing because the worship leader tells you to or he plays a song that lends itself to that? Or are you going to praise God because that's what's in your heart and it cannot be contained regardless of what the music is or whether there is any music? I mean, do we just praise God when there's music? Is music our avenue for praise? No. See, that's what we have come to believe. You know why? I take full responsibility as one who has conditioned the body of Christ to believe that your avenue for praise is exciting music. And for some people, that's the only time they praise God is when they got musical accompaniment. But that's not, that's not what we see in this book recorded for us. In Acts chapter 2, it says they continued steadfastly. You read those, those verses of Scripture from Acts 2.42 to Acts 2.47. It says they went from house to house. Daily they were. Say, oh, now you're putting way too much on me now, Pastor. I, I can't do that. I'm not putting anything on you. I'm not saying you have to do that. Nobody told the early church, they had to do that. That wasn't the pattern. That wasn't the pattern of worship in the temple. They went on the Sabbath. But they went daily. Why did they go daily? Because there was something in their heart. There was a hunger to learn of this Savior, to learn of this salvation that had been imparted to them through this man, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, buried, and raised up, now had ascended to the Father, seated at the, the right hand of the majesty on high. And God poured out Himself, the very Spirit of God, into their hearts 
There was something bursting forth in them that says, I must know this Savior. To the point that they laid down their lives. Hebrews 11 says they loved not their lives even to death. That didn't begin in the New Testament. That was from the days of old. It's never been about legalistic obligation. It's always been about grace and it's always been about love. Is the love of God bursting forth from your heart? Are you here because of the love of God? Or are you here just because you're curious? Because you want to make sure you got your spot in heaven securely? Nailed down? Don't want to let it slip away, you know? Is that what we've reduced our salvation to? Is that really what the church has become? Now, I'm going to tell you, I'll I'll tell you right now, your pastor is in a really dangerous place, dangerous for you guys. Because, I'm telling you what, the Lord is just really challenging me. Personally, I'm being challenged. Let me, for instance, let me give you a scripture that challenged me. Well, there's several of them. Go to the book of Jeremiah. Here's a scripture that, that really challenged me and convicted me. And, and it also reinforced what I believe is one of the major problems in the church today. And we see it was a major problem in the church back then. The church being the called out people of God. That's what that word means. Okay? It's a Greek word that simply means the called out people of God. Jeremiah was writing to, prophesying to the called out people of God. And here's what God says. Jeremiah 6, 14. Talking about the prophets and the priests. Those who God ordained to speak forth His word and to declare His truth. In verse 14 it says, They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly. One of the reasons judgment was coming and this nation was fixing to be carried away for 70 years, one of the reasons was because its leaders healed the hurt of God's people slightly. You know what that means? Here's what it means. I'll put it to you in modern vernacular. They put a Band-Aid on it. It's like having cancer and going to the doctor and saying, oh, don't worry about that. Here, let me give you a case of Band-Aids. Just just put a new Band-Aid on it every day. It'll be okay. And you know what? People went away believing that the Band-Aid was going to work. And then you know what they began to do? They began to look to and worship Band-Aids. Because Band-Aids are the answer. How do we know? Because that's what the priest, that's what the prophet told me. All I need is a Band-Aid. Oh, well, okay, well... Hell to the Band-Aids. We need more Band-Aids. Well, I went, to, I went to synagogue today, but it was really a bummer, man. They need some new Band-Aids in that place because I'm telling you what, I'm tired of those flesh-colored Band-Aids. You know, I saw a synagogue over there. They had multicolored Band-Aids. And I'm just wondering why we have to have 
flesh-colored band-aids when they have multicolored band-aids over there. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't care what color your band-aid is, you don't need another band-aid. You need something that's going to go deeper than a band-aid. But we have become convinced that band-aids work. And consequently, God says, my people have only been healed slightly. Let me give you another scripture that convicted me. This one's for me. So you might want band-aids. That one's for me if I want to give you band-aids, and I'm telling you right now, I ain't giving you any more band-aids. Okay? Band-aids are gone. Done with. No more band-aids. So the band-aid thing's off of me. Now it's on you. If you want band-aids, you ain't going to get them here. But here's one that, that went directly to me. And I'm still praying about this one, by the way. That would be Jeremiah 10, 21. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. This is why God brought judgment to this nation. Because the shepherds had become dull-hearted. They did not seek the Lord. You know why? How do we know they didn't seek the Lord? Because God says, you've only healed my people slightly. You're still giving them band-aids, and I told you to stop doing that. So I read this scripture, and this is the question I'm asking myself, and I'm sincerely asking God to give me an answer in detail. God, have I become dull-hearted? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to be a pastor, a shepherd who is dull-hearted. I don't want to be. The day I truly believe that I have become dull-hearted is the day I will leave the ministry. Because God does not need shepherds who are dull-hearted. Because God loves His people more than that. And I'm going to tell you what, church. You better not settle for a shepherd who is dull-hearted. And this is what we're seeing in America. I, I just speak for America because I don't really know the condition of everything that's happening. Because the books I read and the things that I study are specifically about our Western culture here. And I'm telling you what, the flocks are scattering and I believe it is because the shepherds have become dull-hearted. I'm telling you what, if you know you got cancer and you walk into a doctor's office and they want to give you a Band-Aid, are you going to go back to that doctor? This is what's happening. People are growing up. You know why that person left their church when they were a sophomore in high school? It might be because they didn't know the Lord. But it could be because whether, even though they might not have been able to put their finger on what the problem was, they might have said, you know what? This is not dealing with my issues. They might not even known they had any issues. Maybe they were handed a band-aid all their life and they come to a place and they realize, you know what? 
I can't use a Band-Aid anymore. The church is not something we join. The church is who we are. Membership in the local church is not, not, not about joining something. It's about being something. And one of the reasons that I'm sharing this with you today that was totally unprepared, I have four pages of sermon notes that's going to be uploaded. And none of what I'm telling you is on there. Maybe a couple of sentences, I don't know. But yet, everything I'm telling you is relevant to this message here. Because the reality is, I I can't give you enough reasons to commit to the local church. I can't give you enough reasons to become a member of the local church. There's not enough paper that can be made that has room because it's not about anyone convincing you of anything it's about your heart it's about my heart so when i read that scripture in jeremiah 10:21 that scripture is about my heart i'm not looking at anybody else's heart except this heart right here And the question I've got to ask myself is, Jeff, have you become dull-hearted? Is this about me? Do I get up here every Sunday morning because this is about me? No, I would never say that. You might not believe that. But I need to ask myself that question. Do you know what? I, I love to preach. Now, I know I can't lift you so high that you've got to look down to see heaven. But one thing I will do is I will give you the truth. See, I'm not going to try to lift you that high because I know I can't do it. And, and no man is meant to be able to do that. And if that's what you come to church for, if that's what you're looking for, you're looking for something to feed your flesh, and you're really not interested in heart transformation. Because heart transformation is not about getting lifted high. Heart transformation is about becoming low. When our hearts are transformed, we're not going to want to get high. We're going to want to get low before the Lord and know that God will lift us up. Jeremiah says this twice. One right after the other in the same discourse, he says it twice. Because you have only healed the wounds of my people slightly. I don't want to heal your wounds slightly. I can't heal your wounds, but God can. But He can't use my words and the preaching of the gospel through my mouth if I'm not giving you the truth. Here's what I am absolutely committed to doing in your life. I promise you I will challenge the things that are contrary to this word. I don't care how much you love them, how much you worship them, how much you idolize them. Even if it means that you are going to walk out those doors and never come back, I'm telling you what, we have got to come together, just like the Beatles said, over this book right here. (laughs) Okay? 
This is what has got to bring us together. You know why? Because we come here, we assemble here, because there's a world that is lost out there. And contrary to popular church culture, this Sunday go-to-church meeting is not about all of this and how wonderful it makes me feel. Listen, we are called to be equipped to go out and be salt and light in the world. We're not going to change the atmosphere by gathering in a room and worshiping for 12 hours. Now, I would love that. I love to worship. I would get built up. I would get edified. But let's get serious. We're not going to change the atmosphere of anything. It may change me. But what's going to change the atmosphere of our world is by going out there and living the gospel. We're like the bubble boy. Did you ever see the bubble boy movie? We live in a Christian bubble, and we don't want to get out of it. I don't want to... We're like the Pharisees. Oh, well, I don't want to go to that sinner's house. I might, might get sin on me. You know, and some of you need to get it in the right balance. I got one guy that I know who hangs out at the beer joints because he's going to reach the drunkards. Well, the truth is, he just wants to go drink beer. And be justified in it. He really doesn't want to reach the drunkards. And you know what? 98% of you don't have to go. No, I'm going to change it. 99.5% of you don't have to go to the beer joint. You work around them every day. You live around them every day. How much of Christ in you is known and seen and, and felt by those that are around you every day? Well, we, want, we want some ministry. Your ministry is out in the world where God told us to go and do it. This is the equipping place so that you can go out into the world not living in your Christian bubble, but letting your light shine into the darkness around you. Becoming salt that will impact the corruption that is around you. And that's not necessarily achieved because we have a church of 20, or 200, or 2,000, or 20,000. But it sure won't be achieved if we are not men and women committed to the truth. So committed to the truth that it hurts us. And I challenge you, to be so committed to truth that it hurts you. Don't read your Bible to reinforce your pet doctrines. Read the Scripture to let God challenge you. I made a commitment to do that. I've always felt like I was committed to that. 
probably about five years ago, I don't know, really don't know what happened. Something changed. And if you think you feel challenged, I'm telling you what, God has challenged so much in my life that I just took for granted. But when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, he was not lying. And I realized I was a believer in bondage for a whole lot of years. Whether I didn't know the truth because I didn't want to or because I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But if you'll just do this one simple thing, if you will read the Bible, I don't care where you start. Start in Genesis. If you'll read the Bible and everything you read, you will ask, how does this reveal Christ to me? You will be amazed at what you will begin to find. And I'm telling you what, this Bible is not... 66 books that are separated. This Bible is not full of concepts that exist in their own universe out there, separate from one another. This is the whole counsel of God, and the whole counsel of God is connected. It works together. It flows together. It brings truth in every area. And one of the things that really began to challenge me is I had a bunch of dots that were unconnected. In my life. And I didn't really think about it. And I'm telling you what, God started connecting dots. And I realized, you know what? There, there is an endless, there is an endless well of truth. His name is Jesus. You think this is all that, that there is to God just between this inch and a half of paper. You realize how big God is? He's eternal. He's infinite. But yet this is what God has revealed to us. And I believe we could probably spend the rest of eternity just, just concentrating on this book right here. And we, we may never get to the end of the truths that are in here. And all of those truths have one name. It's Christ. They have one image, it's Christ. They have one purpose, it's Christ. It's about one glory, it's Christ. This is what the church is. This is who we are. This is what this is about. This is why we come together to grow, as Paul says, in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Why? So that I can go into this world so that I can manifest that life and that light wherever I go. Worship is not what I do at 10.30 on Sunday morning. Worship is who I am. Amen. It's who I am. It should be who we are. The church is not where we go once a week, once a month, wherever, however. It is who we are all the time. And we need to ask ourselves, what kind of church am I revealing to the people around me? Not here. I'm talking about out there. Here and there. What kind of church are we revealing? Have we become dull-hearted?
If you'll ask that question to God, He'll answer that question for you. But now, don't ask the question if you're not prepared to deal with the answer. Because once you ask the question, He gives you the answer, it needs to be dealt with. And this is what God is doing. He is dealing with His people. He's dealing with the answer to that question, whether you realize it or not right now. He is. But He wants us to realize that He is dealing, that He is working. All the time, He never stops. He never sleeps, He never slumbers. That should bring great comfort to us. Amen? Well, I've kept you a little longer than I should. Let's all stand. I covet your prayers. Pray for your pastor. I don't want to be a dull-hearted pastor. I don't want to be a dull-hearted shepherd. I pray for you guys. Father, I, I ask that you would just help us. Help us, Lord, to be brutally honest with ourselves. Lord, some of us would not dare lie to our neighbor, but we lie to ourselves every day. We lie about the true condition of our heart. We lie about so many things. We live in denial, and Father, I pray that you would help your church come out of denial. I pray, God, that you would help her break free from those things that she has become deceived by and held it bondage to that are contrary to your truth, to who you are. Lord, you've called us. You've made us your very own people in this earth. Lord, you've put us here in Taylor, Texas, in this central Texas area for a reason and a purpose that's much greater than ourselves and much greater than the sum of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to have eyes to see beyond the surface. I pray, God, that you would give us a hunger that would go deeper than our flesh. I pray, God, that we would have hearts that would yearn and cry out for true transformation. Not to be moved for a moment, for a night, for a, for a season, but, God, that we would be eternally and eternally transformed changed help us to see Lord that this is not something that is done in a moment in a period of time this is something that Lord you have been and are and will do through all eternity Lord this is a journey that we are on Lord for all of our lives here on this earth and beyond this earth help us to be a people God that lives with a sense of destiny and a sense of who you are that is much bigger and much greater than what we have believed in the past. Lord, I ask this, that you would be glorified through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you.
You guys go to uh, the garage sale and get you some good stuff, all right?